You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.com and of course I will answer as many as I can. So last week we had Mazel Tovs. I have another Mazel Tov. God is good. I must tell you, we are so thankful, so appreciative. Um, my son, his bar mitzvah is in a little less than a month. That means when he turns 13, he becomes a man. He counts for a minion, for a quorum, by prayers. Uh, but a month before, the boys start praying with Tefillin. Tefillin are those black boxes, one on the arm, one on the head. They're called phylacteries. A very, very exciting time for a young man because he wasn't allowed to wear them till now. This is like just a month to get ready. So he, it's, it's something that they have to practice to get into the mode, learn how to put it on. I go with him every morning um, to prayers. I actually pray earlier. I go with him later just to help him get it on properly and wrap it properly. It's a... And he's so happy, and he's, he feels so big, and it's amazing to watch them grow. It's really, really amazing to watch them grow. And and with all the things happening in the world, in my neighborhood, um, I, I, it's it's been like an attitude I've been thinking about a lot. There's expenses when you make weddings. There's expenses when you make a bar mitzvah. We had uh, no power um, last week. Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, Sunday, late Sunday, 7-ish. I think it was 7-ish. In the 7-ish, the power came back on. Had a generator and, you know, me figuring out a generator. Okay, Andy helped me. Getting it running, when I turned it off, to getting it back up running, getting the gas in it, having it shut off because I uh, wasn't careful with the oil. Um, just different stuff. And I keep saying over and over. I said, thank you, Hashem. Hashem is so good to me. So many things are happening in my life that we are so thankful for. If you think I'm going to complain or kvetch about a few uh, discomforts, okay, so there's not so much money in the bank account. Okay, so the credit card bills are are going up. Okay, so there's there's no power, but uh, at least I got my fridge and uh, and freezer and the stove is working and some lights. Okay, so there's no air conditioning. Too much, th- not not too much, so much good. It's important that we, we got to look at the picture. So not everything is perfect. That's fine. But I have so many things to be appreciative for. I need to be careful and not get into the kvetchy mode on little things that are not as perfect. However, there's a caveat to that. It is true that I am so thankful to God and so appreciative and so many good things happening in my life. But it doesn't mean when I pray to God, I can't ask for more. God, you gave me this and this and that and that. But I need a few more things. I'm not complaining. 
but there's nothing wrong. I, I don't have to say, God, you did so much. It, it's too hard for you to do anything else. That's ridiculous, right? In other words, God can do anything and everything. He can choose not to. He can choose that my financial situation is not what I would like it to be. He can choose that my uh, power in my house is not the way I would like it to be. He can choose a lot of things. I can ask for everything because God can do whatever he wants. He will. He won't. That's not up to me. But I need to know that I could pray and ask for anything and everything that I would like. Nothing wrong. But to complain, to kvetch, when things are so good, sometimes we have to take a step back and say, hey, you know, I made, without advertising, I made one of these Snapfish books. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. It took me a few years to figure them out. We are... Now, I'm not printing all the pics. We take all these pics with our cameras and our phones, and uh, we're going to have albums with 8,000 pictures. No one's looking at these pictures. And, and the truth is, if you think I'm going through my phone to look at the thousands of pictures I took this year, that's also ridiculous. Who has time? But what I like to do every year, actually right around this time of year, is um, I collect, I sort of weed out and try to take a few pictures— 200, of whatever happened during the year. The Sukkot holidays, Hanukkah, and Purim, and Passover, and midwinter vacation, and kids coming for visits, and and different uh, life events, my children accomplishing different things, and of course pictures from the engagement parties, and pictures from my son putting on his tefillin. So I have a whole year of pictures that I put in one of these Snapfish books. And, of course, whoever uses Snapfish, I can't imagine anybody pays full price. That would be silly. Um, make sure you get whatever code they have or just wait a few days. They're forever sending emails, forever sending codes, again, free advertising. But um, I, I, we take this, I make it into a book. It'll come home. My kids will have a good time looking at it for a few weeks. goes up in the closet. But you know what? Different kids will come to visit in a couple weeks from now month from now, six weeks, a year, you could quickly pull out a book and say, look at all the great things that happened this year. Look what a great year we had. Look how good God was to us. Yes, corona was was destructive. Corona, unfortunately, a lot of people passed away. It was a hard year for a lot of people. I'm not uh, arguing that at all. But we need to look at the picture, not looking for a pun, no pun intended, but look at the picture, and when you have things where God is good to you, you got to recognize. you got to at least remember sometimes, instead of getting into the minutiae of every day complaining and fetching, and I wish this and I wish that, and my boss and who knows what, my kids and parents and whatever, you, you got to make sure you look at the picture. Look at the good stuff. It's really, really important. Okay, so this week's story portion packed, 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 packed like a pomegranate seed with, with seeds. It's packed. The most mitzvos in any single Torah portion is this week. And there's so many things that happen, um, so I'll try to focus on a couple. So, interesting, um, it discusses early on in the Torah portion, talks about giving a death penalty to that wayward son, which... I don't think we're going to talk about today, but it says when you when the court will will uh, will have to execute somebody, so certain crimes require the person be hung. 
That was first they killed the person, then they took his body, and the person was hung. Torah says um, you cannot leave his body hanging overnight. As a matter of fact, it says they would try to kill the person as close to nightfall as possible, put him up on the gallows for a minute to accomplish that Torah command, immediately take him down and bury him, which is interesting because it is pointing out to you the importance of Jewish burial. So I know I've said this story a dozen times. It's such a good story. It bears repeating. And besides, it happened to me. We all like personal stories. Anyways, I told you I went into my mechanic, and my mechanic had a sour face. His name is Eugene, great mechanic. And, you know, your mechanic has a sour face. Maybe you shouldn't be asking him to fix your car because, you know, maybe everything is wrong with your car. Who knows? So I sit down. I say, Eugene, what's the matter? And that in itself, by the way, is a real important lesson. If somebody looks down, just honestly ask him, what's a matter? Can I help you? Don't hope for the person to say, eh, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. No, you look like you're unhappy. So I sat down, and some people ignore. You see, your mechanic looks unhappy. I know most of you are laughing at me because who goes to a mechanic? You, you have a leased car. You have a new car. You never go to a mechanic. Some of us do not have such new cars. But in any case, so I said, Eugene, what's the matter? So he says, my friend, um, I'm responsible for him. He passed away in Florida, and uh, the hospital just called me. And he's in the morgue, and I have one week to get him out. I said, okay, so what's the problem? They said, if I don't get him out and buried, they are cremating him in one week. What should I do, Rabbi? What should I do? So I said, Eugene, give me an hour. So I called up the funeral, the Orthodox funeral home here in town, and I told them the situation, and they actually have a charity fund to make sure people are not cremated but are instead buried. So I wasn't going to be the yo-yo back and forth. So, but the bottom line was, I said they told me he this Eugene will contact them. He has to get the body up from Florida, which meant he had to do some paperwork. And anyways, he was going down to Florida. So he has to do the paperwork, get the body up to Detroit, and they will take care of the rest. And they did. They even had a minion, and they had a rabbi. He was a Russian fellow, so it was a a a Russian rabbi that likes to take care of these people. And he was so appreciative. He's been like just such a good friend to me um, over the years because he knows I helped him out. And I did help him out. But in my mind, because I went ahead and said, is everything okay? Um, I was able to get involved in the command of, of burying a person who dies in a respectful manner. Um, but there's actually some other interesting proofs, this concept that it is the, the importance, the value of Jewish burial. Another one which we talked about probably around Tuba of time, uh, three or four weeks ago, and that was the city of Beitar. We said that when Bar Kokhba led his revolt, so it was a three-year revolt, at the end of the revolt, so the Romans came in and wiped out the army, and they piled up the bodies around a vineyard, and they refused to allow the bodies to be buried. So you see right there, the Romans understood the importance of Jewish burial, and the punishment for the revolting was no Jewish burial. 
for 12 years. They did not allow these bodies to be buried. When they finally allowed, after those bodies being piled up, and not disintegrating, by the way, so it's miraculous, but when they allowed those bodies to be buried, so our response, the Jewish response was, we actually, the rabbis instituted a special prayer. The prayer is called Atayv the good one who does good. Um, one was, if you get, if you have a, a nicer wine, a second wine is brought to the table and it's a fancier wine. So you make this blessing. And also they added a fourth blessing to the, the, the blessing after the meal, to the Birch Samazon, also ending with the words Atov HaMetiv. So we recognize the miracle that was done, but again, all wrapped around the, the idea, the importance of Jewish burial. Third story for you. King Saul um, basically had led a, I wouldn't call it a war, but he, he tried to wipe out the Givonim. The Givonim were a group that converted. They converted through trickery. They worked um, for, the, for the tabernacle, but when King Saul went and he had his general wipe out that city with the tabernacle, they all lost their jobs, and it led to a lot of suffering for them. So there was a, there was a, after King Saul dies and King David takes over, there's a hunger going on. So King David understood that it was because the Givonim had complaints how they had uh, either almost were exterminated and had lost uh, their livelihood. So the deal was King, King uh, David asked them to forgive the situation. Look, King Saul's dead. They said, no, nope, not good enough. We want to hang, uh, I guess there were seven sons of King Saul around. We want to hang those seven sons. Um, interesting enough, King David said, okay. He said, you can do it. And it says that the father, or the mother, Ritzvah, I think it was a father, of, it must have been a mother, of uh, two of those sons um, stood there for seven months chasing away the birds because these seven Princes are hanging, so they're not being buried. So it's very embarrassing. Um, and for seven months, she's keeping the birds away until eventually, after seven months, they were allowed to be buried. So King David felt, even though there's a lack of Jewish burial, but he felt that the sanctification of God's name, of this is what happens um, when people do what they're not supposed to do, so it would supersede the problem of burial. And it's interesting, by the way, in the end, it says there were 150,000 converts because of this whole story. Okay. Once we're talking about Jewish burial, so there's an interesting medrash that I saw this week. So when King Solomon was building the temple, so he asked Pharaoh for some, uh, for some workers. I guess it was common when uh, one country is building something special, you can go to a neighboring country and say, we need some help. Send us some builders. Pharaoh sent a bunch of builders. However, Pharaoh sent a group of people that were going to die that year. He used his astrology, whatever he used, and he knew these people would die within the year. And when Solomon, when King Shlomo saw these workers, he also knew right away they were going to die. So what he does was he, he puts shrouds 
on all these workers. I don't think it says how many there were. And he sends them back to Pharaoh with the message. He says, you don't have money for shrouds? So you sent me these people? Here's the shrouds to take care of them. So, um, happens to be, on this medrash, they explain there's a deeper meaning to this whole story. Right? Pharaoh needs to send a bunch of people going to die. Like, why? Like, what, what would be the point in all this? So Pharaoh was sending a message to King Solomon. Your temple's not going to last forever. What's the point? It's going to be destroyed. 400 years later, mind you. It's going to be destroyed. Why bother? So on that, on that, King Shlomo, Solomon sent back the shrouds to say, yeah, they're going to die. I understand. These men are going to die. And the temple is not going to last forever. But just the... we Jews believe that there will be a resurrection of the dead. In other words, anybody who died, for the most part, is going to come back to life. So to the temple, it's going to be destroyed, but it will be rebuilt. So just because it's going to be destroyed, but we know it's going to be rebuilt. Just like we know people are going to die, and they're going to be, they're going to, God's going to bring them back eventually. And, okay, it gets more holy, it's, it's uh, symbolic to the wheat kernel that has coverings, but in the ground, those coverings get destroyed, and the seed germinates and grows, and that's what happens to the soul. Okay, that's all holy stuff. Let's, uh, let us move along in this week's Torah portion. So, another command is returning lost objects. However... It happens to be not here. Here it just says if you find um, an ox or a sheep, you have to return it. When the Torah says this command in an earlier Torah portion, it happens to be the Torah portion of Mishpatim. So it says, when you see the ox of your enemy. So who cares? Like, why is it important? When you have a, a command, you see a lost object, you have to return it. There's no... There's no rules or regulations. Friend, enemy, who cares? The Torah gave you a command. You see something lost, you return it. So why did the Torah make a big deal to say when you see the lost object of your enemy, you have to return it? So I saw a fascinating idea. When you return the lost object of your enemy, he will cease to be your enemy. He'll become your friend. He'll begin to love you. And you, by the way, even more so, will begin to love him. Happens to be psychological, um, but true. And that is, everybody knows, parents love children more than the children love the parents. Why? Why? Very simple. Because parents are forever giving. When you give, you love. You see people as they get older, and and a spouse uh, happens to many, many people. A spouse gets sick, is not well, and the and the other spouse is taking care of them. They love taking care of them because the more they give, the more they love. Yeah, it's true. The person has different uh, medical situations. But the fact is, the more I give, the more I love. And that is part of the lesson of returning lost objects, that God wants me to love everyone. So if there's somebody I didn't love, whatever the situation was, whatever the issue was, by returning his lost, or her, by the way, lost object, I will come to love that person. Also, by the way, in this concept of returning, 
It's not my job just to return your lost object. It is part of the command is to return the person's life. How do I return the person's life? Let's say business is going bad. I help him fix up his business. He needs moral support. He needs he needs emotional support. You give a person back their life. You're returning their life. That is amazing. That's all part and parcel of this concept of returning what's not mine. I return you your stuff, and I return you your life. Um, interesting, by the way, um, in this idea of returning lost objects, uh, Interesting story in the Talmud. So Samuel found a certain precious stone. It wasn't just your run-of-the-mill precious stone. It was a very, very special stone. It was the queen's diamond. And when the queen lost her diamond, she, of course, was quite perturbed, so she put out a message. Whoever returns the diamond within 30 days will get a massive reward. If you return it after 30 days, you will be executed. Uh Now, he's not playing around. You're going to return it, I give you a reward. But if you hold on to, if you don't return it, and we catch you, we will kill you. Anyway, Samuel had found it. He saw the signs posted, and interesting enough, he didn't return it. Till day 31. Day 31, comes into the queen, and says, here's your diamond. She says, hello, today's 31. You, if you, you probably found this three weeks ago. You understand that if you would have returned it early, reward. You return it late, I have to kill you. Why did you return it on day 31? What were you thinking? So Samuel said, in our Torah, we have a command to return lost objects. If I would return your object on day 6, everyone would say, yeah, he returned the object because there's a big reward. And he didn't want to get killed by holding on to it. So big deal. So Samuel said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I know he's saying Samuel. His name was really Shmuel, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to wait till day 31 just to show everyone I don't need any reward. I'm not interested in reward. I return the object because God said return lost objects. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So, of course, she did not execute him. And, of course, she gave him a reward. But that wasn't the point. The point is we have a command. We don't believe in finders, keepers, losers, weepers. We have a special command to return lost objects. Um, Because the Torah wants us to fight our tendencies, to fight our nature. And unfortunately, most people's nature is, is to be selfish. I want whatever I can grab. Whatever I can get my hands onto, I want it to be mine. I don't want to give away things so easily. So therefore, the Torah says, it's not yours. First of all, God says, it's all mine anyway, so what's the difference? But second of all, by returning lost objects, you will learn to be not selfish or selfless is the correct word. I know you got to fight your tendencies. you got to fight your nature. You cannot be selfish. So you find a lost object. You're required to return it which helps for a story that I have said in the past with uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He was one of the great Talmudic scholars of the last generation. He passed away in 86. So um, he was head of a school, elementary school, and a high school, and a post-high school. So it is common in fifth grade for boys to start learning Talmud. 
And for the most part, they learn a chapter, really a few pages, um, in a tract they call Bamitzia. And it talks about returning lost objects. But it seems that the people were starting uh, to learn a chapter in Tractate Brachos, which talks about prayer, and and many teachers felt that it's uh, it, 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 the children will, will relate better to all this stuff about prayer, give an opportunity to talk about prayer, to learn about prayer. So they wanted to change what they would be teaching in fifth grade. So I find scene said no. I find scene said there's a reason why the boys learn Elam. It see, that chapter discusses returning lost objects. And when you're learning a foreign language um, with different skill sets uh, to delve into the Talmud, they, the children, the boys, have to repeat over and over and over again that you have to return lost objects. You have to return what's not yours. You have to return what's not yours. If it's not yours, you have to return it. It has to get into their kishkis, as we like to say, into their soul, that they're going to repeat over and over and over again this concept. If it doesn't belong to you, you have to return it. And Rabbi Feinstein said that concept is so important that that's why it's the first thing we want these fifth-grade boys to study. And from what we're saying over here, it's really more than that. In other words, we need to learn to fight against our natural tendencies. Returning lost objects is one of those commands that helps us go against our nature, and therefore it's very, very important. And my music is playing. And since my music is playing, we are going to say goodbye. So I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet as always. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. Today we have a new team. We have Garrett and Zach in the back. Thank you very much. And uh, Alan helping. I hope I left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to our Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. We can build every room inside is filled. Things from far away. Special things.